0: Oh, I hope it lives. I wished fervently, silently, again and again. This is Daring to Tell, the podcast where we hear writers read their true stories of personal daring, and then we talk about writing. I am your host, Michelle Rado.
1: Nothing's gonna make me brave. Nothing's gonna make me brave Nothing's gonna make me brave Except doing what makes me scared
0: It's a new month, and for this episode, I've got something quite different for you. Still, a true story, and I think there's definitely some personal daring involved, but I come to you today... With something different because I don't know who you are and I don't know what you are going through. Yet each month I offer you a story and some accompanying truth. That's pretty much the deal that I've set out. And what I do know about podcasting is that one is to set up an expectation for what the audience will discover and stick with that. The creativity is in how one delivers within those expectations. This time I can't. This podcast is also about writing and what I know about writing and the writing process is that you have to follow where your inspiration goes. That is what I have for you today. Something as I've been saying a little different because it's possible that I have not been exactly sure what I've been looking for. I learned a new term recently after so much interest in monarchs and milkweed. It is called diapause. Allow me to go back. I have spent so much time writing about the milkweed and the monarch caterpillars and butterflies, but I haven't fully congealed my thoughts about it, at least not yet. Each thought is kind of half baked or a path that takes off in one direction, and then I realize I need to be going in a different direction. But I do have something very important forming to say about it all. About how I have become absolutely spellbound by the little green and yellow striped critters who cling to the milkweed plant and just munch away. They have antennae at their heads and their tails, so birds can't tell which way is up. And they are always upside down as they eat. You can see all the black droppings popping out at the other end of them. They're just one big digestive tract, taking in the milkweed at one end, pushing out whatever isn't necessary at the other end. First, I noticed one in our doorway on the day that it transformed from caterpillar to chrysalis. At one moment, it was a limp, j-shaped caterpillar hanging from a corner in our doorway and when i came back a few hours later it was a shiny iridescent green pod i imagined the caterpillar oozing out some kind of green goo from the place where it had attached at the top of our doorway but i was wrong After finding a website about monarch caterpillars, I saw that in fact, they shed their outer skin like a snake. Immediately captivated, I ran to the doorway and began searching for the crumpled, sloughed-off skin, and I was looking for that yellow and green that it had been only hours before. I was searching on the doorstep. I didn't see anything. I'm looking around in the driveway. There's nothing. Around the yard and off to the side. Nothing, nothing, nothing nowhere. It was not a windy day, and it hadn't been all that long. How could I miss this brightly colored thing? So deflated, I went back to my article and continued reading. In the very next paragraph, it said how the caterpillar burst out of its skin and showed the black stripes between all the green and yellow color pushing upward. Then a picture of black skin in a crumpled heap. Oh! So I ran outside again, this time looking for a little black crumpled heap. And there it was, right below the chrysalis in exactly the spot you would imagine it dropping. (sighs) That made me think a lot about how you can't find something if you don't know what you're looking for. And I spent a good bit of time thinking about that. I also learned that the shiny little green pod is what was left from underneath the shed black stripes. How weird is that? Crazy. I figured, holy crap, that caterpillar has changed so fast, I better keep an eye on it because who knows how fast it might become a butterfly. I checked again a few hours later, still green. A few hours after that, still green. Wait green, wait, green went on like that for a while so I went back to my article yet again. Turns out that I had just happened to catch the little guy making his or her transformation in the act and now that it had gone into the chrysalis state, it could be anywhere from 10 to 14 days for it to transform into a butterfly this was enough of an event for me To pause and make a few observations. The idea that if we don't know what we're looking for we won't find it. The idea that change can be sudden and then slow. The idea that sometimes things appear to happen one way and might be happening in an entirely different way or perhaps stated more simply Things aren't always what they seem. So I knew I'd have to wait. And this is when I started taking a picture every morning to notice and document the transformation. Because what good is witnessing change if we can't document it, share it? So that little green chrysalis also had gold dots at the bottom and a little gold ring of dots around the top of it. And it stayed like this for many days. Shiny, bright green. I shared the pictures on Twitter every day, and a few folks seemed to enjoy it. My 200-plus followers stayed static, though, which was a little disappointing, but also basically fine. Then, as the website articles have told me, The bright, shiny green pod began darkening to a deeper green and lost that shiny veneer. Day 14 for my chrysalis was a warm Sunday in the middle of August. And let's be clear, by this point, it was my chrysalis. Some chrysalis. A little miracle in the corner of a doorway in a main It was right on schedule for the day that it turned black, just as the pictures on the internet had showed. The exterior, a shiny, translucent black, although I could see the orange dots of the monarch butterfly inside of there, but it looked like a big oil drop. That would be the day. I just knew it. That week, I had also seen monarchs all over the place, on my run, up and around the back roads, and when I would drive, they would be soaring around. A few days before this, I had even noticed one in the weedy front flower bed we walked past many times every day. I was on my way to the mailbox when underneath a leaf, I spotted a clinging, somewhat crumpled monarch butterfly. I bent over to examine it and could see it was gripping a clear little torn membrane of a sack. That was its chrysalis. I had read about how they are wet when they emerge, how they drink the fluid from the chrysalis to pump into their wings and then wait while their wings would dry. I ran to get Phil to show him what I had found. What. Had been there in front of us all this time, and that sparked yet another new idea for me to carry around with me. Mystery and magic and treasures of nature are everywhere, we just might not necessarily notice them. So I knew, I just knew that Sunday would be the day, yet. I still had my own stuff to do, I got up, went through my routine, coffee, reading or writing, Rocky's breakfast, check the chrysalis, our breakfast, check the chrysalis, do the dishes, check the chrysalis, scoop Rocky's litter box, check the chrysalis, brush our teeth, change into my running clothes, and I checked the chrysalis again before I headed out down the street, still just a big fat oil drop with hints of orange within. Oh, I hope it lives, I wished fervently, silently, again and again. On my run, my thoughts stayed with my run. When I came to the crossroads, where I can either do an extra mile or head home, I added the extra mile because it was just such a lovely, sultry day out. I encountered a woolly bear caterpillar, all brown, no black ends, hurrying quickly south across the road. Was that a harbinger of something? Perhaps, more likely, just mythology. I paused to take pictures of the road that was adjacent to ours that had been taken down to dirt before it would be repaved. I liked the look of it, I liked driving down a dirt road to get to our house. It made people slow down, made us seem more rural than we really are. Some of our friends and family now imagine us as up in the boonies because we now live north of Portland, even because we just live in Maine, full stop. But this is hardly the boonies. We have looked at a map and seen places north of here in Maine that are further away from our house than New York City is. So it was probably almost an hour from the time I had jogged off in the other direction when I paced back up our driveway and saw the most amazing little miracle. My little green and yellow striped caterpillar turned green bean pod turned black oil drop was now a crumpled new black and orange monarch butterfly. I could hear Phil practicing his fiddle in the kitchen, and I waved my arms in front of our bay window. Come, come, come. It was amazing. There's no other way to say it. I don't know why it still brings me to tears when I think about it. We just stood there and watched and watched and watched. I had seen it come so far, and now it had arrived arrived in a wholly new state, yet somehow all the elements of the parts intact from what it had started off as. At this point, I could hardly look away. We watched up close and we could see the little critter curling and uncurling its antenna and continuing to take in fluid from the sac with its little suction mouth I later learned was called the proboscis. Also moisture dripped every now and then as it would sometimes twist a bit in the morning breeze. I took pictures and moved in and moved out and eventually got myself a chair and just sat there to watch. The wings got bigger and flatter, and then the butterfly would slowly fan them a bit, flapping more and more. Would it tumble? Would it fly? You can do it. You can do it. I quietly cheered her on. Looking at the difference between a male and female monarch, the lines on this one looked more female to me. She still gripped its little empty membrane of a sack, and kept practicing fluttering more and more. I had my phone right there, recording and stopping and starting over and over until at last the fluttering that she had been doing led to a launch, and she flapped up and flew up and down and over to the maple tree. I saw the spot where she had perched already partially camouflaged among the rust-colored seed pods that were developing there in the tree, and I got a picture again, my monarch. My heart relaxed then, since she had made it from the doorway to the tree, and that was the best I would be able to see. I just couldn't settle the rest of the day. I had a good cry after she flew away. I looked into the tree a few more times until she was gone, and I was happy that I didn't see her anymore. She was where she was supposed to be. She had done everything the way she was supposed to. Egg, to caterpillar, to chrysalis, to butterfly. I mostly was so pleased so grateful that I had really witnessed all those stages not in a lab but in nature the nature of our yard I had seen the caterpillars before I had seen butterflies before but this time I saw all the stages and watched it happen and that birthed yeah another idea It's one thing to know how something happens, intellectually, but it's another thing entirely to witness it, to experience it. (sighs) After all this, this huge witnessing of transformation, being dumbstruck in awe of both the Bizarre, drastic transformation of nature alongside her quiet beauty. That merely opening our eyes, my eyes, and paying attention is a practice profound enough to flummox me and send me into internal chaos envy, too. How does a caterpillar know, okay, it's time, I've eaten my fill, I'm gonna go shed my skin, or is it simply born onto a planet, the planet milkweed, and it starts eating away at the thing it was born onto, and there you are, that's life, then off to shed my skin. Find a place to hang upside down, and then that chrysalis. One more thing I neglected to mention that I learned along the way, too. It is possible for a butterfly or, I guess, supposedly a moth, which I think is what they did the experiments on, retains memories from its time back as a caterpillar to when it becomes a butterfly or a moth. They know this, or can posit that they do, because they did experiments where they would give a tiny jolt of electric current to caterpillars while simultaneously exposing them to a smoky smell. So the two sensations became linked, smoke smell and shock. And when they exposed the same butterfly, or moth, whatever it was, to that smoky smell, It reacted with the apprehension of anticipating the shock as well. So, is it that whatever the liquefied goo is inside of the chrysalis, those cells of transformation, somehow contain the thing that we call memory? Again, wow. Wow, wow, wow. After all of this, I was glued to the milkweed in our yard. I checked it every day for more caterpillars, which I would indeed see. I checked for other chrysalis pods, which I did see. I saw other chrysalis pods under leaves in the front garden that had turned black but not opened. Why not? That was sad. It was getting late in the year, and there were barely any leaves at all left on the milkweed, So as I was keeping track of one caterpillar who had been eating away at what was left, I noticed at one point he'd started making his trek across the other plants in the garden bed and was headed in the direction of the house, which is, of course, where the other one had gone, which is sort of a north-northwest direction from the milkweed, if that's worth noting at all. I didn't even see it moving again. It was paused, but I came back later and saw that it had moved again, and I would scan in every direction. It had to be there somewhere, but where? Where was it? Was it towards the tree? Was it in the grass? Well, on the week that we had friends coming to visit us, Phil's friend, who had been a biology major and an Eagle Scout and spent a lot of time doing hiking and rock collecting, along with his wife, who had been the one who had told me about the fact that monarch caterpillars love milkweed. So we were backing out of the garage, getting ready to go on an errand, when Phil spotted the caterpillar. There's your friend, he said, pointing to the side of the house. There it was, the striped caterpillar, hanging in that little J-formation just as the other one had done out in the corner of our door. When we came back from the errand, I went to examine the little thing and noticed it doing this interesting sort of wiggle and a circular motion, and it made me think could it this be? It's starting to loosen and mold its skin. Now I knew. I knew that the stripes come off. I knew how it split from the head first and then went upward. So I went and got my phone and waited. And I became aware that mm, perhaps my presence might influence this whole little thing that was probably about to happen. If I was about to molt, I'm not sure I'd want some giant creature standing there watching me. But I could still see little wiggles. It was like underneath the skin at the top of where it was attached to the house, kind of just shifting enough. I I hit record and sure enough, it started to split and underneath there was this like very moist, fair greenness that pushed out. The skin kept moving up, up, up as the little guy wiggled and wiggled from the inside. It was like if you imagine yourself trying to wiggle out of a pair of pants. And slowly the skin started crumpling up at the top. Within less than a minute, the thing that had been an upside down J-shaped caterpillar was becoming mm, kind of a maggoty-looking little wad of something that you would never call an insect. The place where there had been eyes became yellow dots, and it was just like a little wad of flesh. How... I I couldn't even call it a wad of flesh a wiggling mess kept moving around it was both disgusting and fascinating and once the stripes were completely crumpled up this little guy just could not get them to drop off of him as the other one had it squirmed and squirmed mightily around as if it was saying get off, get off but it just couldn't get the old skin to drop away, and eventually it just stopped moving. It looked so completely vulnerable, this little raw, wormy thing that had had eyes and a mouth and legs and antenna just moments ago. Now it did not resemble a critter at all, but just a thing, a wad of neon gum. And the more solid part that had been where the head was, was slowly beginning to harden. I kept watching for a while, wondering if this might be a stage where some bird would see some big green goo as a special delicacy to be plucked and devoured. I had no idea, probably, but I didn't know. I at last went back in to show Phil the incredible footage I had just been able to capture, and all the pictures that I had. By the next day, when we went to get our friends at the airport, I would have quite the science project to show them, and I knew I would have a new countdown, 14 days to a butterfly, or so I thought. When I next sat down to write about this whole observation, it was about 20 days into the chrysalis, where it had seemed to stop developing. It stayed a shiny, solid green thing for more than three weeks. By that time in late September, darkness outlasted the daylight and the temperatures of dark sink down into their 30s. And every day that I went out to check on my little chrysalis, I kept wondering what was happening inside that opaque greenness. So I went back to the monarch websites yet again and again to read something that was there all along, but that I hadn't absorbed until I was at this point in the existence of this little thing. I saw about a stage called diapause. Sometimes it said if the chrysalis goes into its pupa state during the cooler months, it might enter diapause, which is a phase similar to hibernation where quote all growth stops. In diapause, the chrysalis won't resume its transformation until the warmer months of spring. Then it will presumably continue and do its thing, change color, and emerge from the transformation into its butterfly incarnation. So I was telling my friend Michelle about this, who lives on the West Coast. That's amazing, she said. We did a FaceTime, and I showed her the little green pod on the edge of our siding. Can you put something up to protect it from the snow, she asked. Mm, not really, I said, though I had certainly thought about the same thing myself. I'm not sure how I'd attach it to the house, anyway. We continued musing over how we'd make something that could possibly attach to the house and form a little roof over it, but I really did think the critter chose its location. It knows best how to do its thing, even if it doesn't survive the winter. Then, a few days later, on the first Tuesday of October, a lovely sunny fall day, on what I counted to be day 22 of its pupa state, I went out to look at it and noticed something new to be worried about. I could see that its color had started to darken, just like the other one had in a few days before it turned that deep black color. I looked more closely and saw, like a little tightly packed suitcase, that distinctive outline of the black and orange wing. It had been developing. Now I was worried that this was not diapause, but maybe some slower paced transformation, something that I can really relate to. But nothing happened that day it was sort of a day of false starts. Phil's mom was now staying with us for a few weeks, and we had planned to do a drive into the big city of Portland to visit this little Italian shop we liked and then stop at the fish market for scallops. But Phil had been nursing a toothache, and no one really wanted to go when he wasn't feeling well. My poor chrysalis, I thought... Was it in diapause? Had it unpaused to develop just a little? Could it pause again? Wednesday, it rained all day, which was good for getting us out of the summer drought we had had. But what about my little chrysalis? Would it open up in a deluge? It did not. Thursday, though, was another one of... Those beautiful, idyllic fall New England days when the temperature may say one thing, but sitting in the sun feels entirely different. Yet the angle of the sun and the flashes of red and yellow everywhere tell you it is definitely not summer anymore. It was the perfect day for an outing. I checked the chrysalis again as I headed out on my morning run. It would be a great day to come out, I whispered to it. But then, once again, I continued on my day. I had a bit of a sluggish run because I had worn too many layers. And after I got back and got showered, we all piled into the car for our big excursion, fresh pasta, scallops, and broccolini for our dinner that night. When we pulled back into the driveway about three hours later, my eyes locked onto the place on the siding where my little pod was. Immediately, I knew it was different. My chrysalis, I exclaimed. I practically jumped out of the car and rushed over to what was now just a little membrane, open and empty. I looked up and down and around. No butterfly. It's gone, I declared as Phil helped his mom getting out of the car. I looked in every direction that I thought it might go while Phil helped his mom continue into the house. By the time she made it to the entryway, I noticed something flapping in the leaves that had gathered next to the retaining wall. My monarch! There it is! I pointed down. It was still a semi-crumpled newborn thing flapping amongst the leaves. It looked feeble. Unhealthy? Was it okay? It doesn't look very good, they agreed. But it had made its first flight, at least 12 feet or so to this spot. Maybe it was only trying to get its footing. Maybe it was still waiting for its wings to dry and stretch and harden. Phil and his mom made it into the house and started getting lunch together, but I went to get my phone and again, take pictures, and watch. I sat there and I wished it well. I told it that it chose a lovely day to join the world and soak in the glorious sunshine for a while. I wondered if it was a soul that I knew. I thought of my Nana Chase and the pansy that comes up in our yard that always makes me think of her. Slowly, it made its way off all those angled, unstable leaves and up onto the side of the retaining wall where it settled a bit and continued with slow flaps, then slower and slower. I sat there in the driveway with it a while longer and took some more pictures, but then knew I had to continue on with my day. And again, I wished it well. I said, I know you have a long journey ahead. I hope you make it. I hope you are happy at least to be sitting here out in the big, beautiful world, even if it's only leaves at the edge of a driveway. When I came back again, I couldn't find it anywhere. I stepped carefully. I scanned the leaves, the driveway, the yard, the tree. But I didn't see my monarch, and so I hope she is on her way to meet her friends and family for a winter in Mexico. And I hope she will be back in the spring. So, there it is. Not even the same story, by the time I got to the ending, as when I started. I was all set to tell you about my lesson of diapause, and then my butterfly emerged. And even at this juncture, right now, as I tell you about all this monarch-watching story, more of my own observations emerge. We can't learn about too many stages in advance, or at least I think I can't. My way seems to be to watch, then read and learn, watch some more, then read again, and then learn the next thing. The whole butterfly article told me everything I had witnessed before I actually saw it, but it took me all those weeks to observe and follow along in real time. It's too much to absorb all the information in the beginning, too overwhelming. Plus, we never know when we're going to experience one of the variations of the typical experience, like a prescribed 14-day incubation period turning into 24 days. Because of the unique nuances of its location in the world and maybe the environment and the season, each butterfly has to live her own story. And even now at the very end of all these observations, I have to go back and review my notes to remember what some of the early ones were. You can't find something if you don't know what you're looking for. Things that appear to have happened one way might have actually happened in an entirely different and unthinkable way. Mystery and magic and treasures of our natural world are everywhere. We just might not necessarily notice them. It's one thing to know how something happens intellectually and another to witness it, to experience it. And then that last one, we can't learn too many stages in advance. We each have to live our own story. So apply that as you will. For me, it's meant that I don't have a new memoir to feature at the moment. Instead, I have found myself seeking out more books about monarchs. Sciencey books and hybrid science, nature, adventure books. I've read a little Monarch 101 book about the stages and life of monarchs. And then the other miraculous thing about them is that intrepid journey they make south each fall and north again for the milkweed each spring. Of course, I feel very late to the party on all of this. I'm hardly the first person to discover this wonder. I feel so self-conscious when I think of my own delayed development of these things, but hey, this is just the best I can do. Living my own story, developing at my own slow pace. I cannot thank you enough. If you have stuck all the way to the end of this one, I can't promise what's next. After my conversation with Susan Piver last month, I think I'm going to try and do my best to live my own quote, right action, as is the challenge of people who are number nines like me. I will also continue with my saga talking style. I'm embracing that. And I'm just going to try and follow my own interest and inclination and see where it takes me. And I will do my best to document my journey along the way. You can see some of the pictures I took if you look back at my feed on Twitter where I am at Michelle Rado. I have a newsletter if you're curious to read more about this kind of musing. It's called Hit Pause, though I was thinking maybe I'd change the name to Diapause, my favorite new term. I also want to thank Blue Dot Sessions for providing all the music you heard throughout this story. I'm not sure if there was anything at all daring in this episode, other than my willingness to reveal my own naivete, But I am going to leave you this time with an entire song that I think accompanies this story quite well. It is, of course, by my music-making husband, Phil Rado. And this song, we were just notified, is a finalist in the main Songwriters Competition, which is so amazing, and I am so proud of him. And of course, I just love it. It is called Slow. As always... Thank you for daring
1: to listen. I live on the coast But I can't see the ocean and I keep to myself most of the time And I try when I can To slow it all down Slow like a starfish And slow like the cedar tree grows And I try not to worry about The answers I may have got wrong And I live in a house With a big empty barn to hold cows but not for a while now I sing some of my songs there and try to slow myself down slow like a fool slow like forgiveness Try to fill in the blanks where it's clear Something needs to go A long time goes quickly It's not really that long at all It doesn't take much to realize No matter how fast we run We still run out of time I inhabit this rock Surrounded by matter I keep to myself Most of the time I watch all the stars that are moving around. Slow like a candle. Slow like the darkness. And I realize it's something at least to know what I can't understand. And a long time goes quickly not really that long at all. It doesn't take much to realize, no matter how fast we run, we still run out of time.